This is Masters in Travel, a rendezvous with the intersection of travel and business to accelerate your success. I'm your host, Whitney Schindler, owner of Undiscovered Sunsets. Each week, we have one goal in mind, to provide advice, insights, and resources to help you maximize your potential. Get ready to become a master in travel. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Masters in Travel. I'm your host, Whitney, and today we're going to learn more about the Enneagram, which is a system of personality typing that describes patterns and how people interpret the world and how they manage their emotions. Whether you know all about the Enneagram and you know your type as well as everyone around you, or you've never heard of the Enneagram before, in this conversation, we're not only going to learn about how we can be better travel advisors by knowing and understanding our own type, but also how we can build stronger relationships with our clients by knowing and understanding what their Enneagram type might be as well. I've invited a very close friend of mine, Whitney Warren, who is a certified Enneagram coach, creative entrepreneur, community builder, and confidence champion living in Des Moines, Iowa. Whitney specializes in creating a space for people to become their best selves. One of the ways she does this is through her online community, The Circle, focused on self-growth and empowerment through the healing lens of the Enneagram. Whitney, thank you for joining us today. Yay, thank you for having me. So before we dive into all things Enneagram, for those who are not familiar with the Enneagram, who've never heard of it or don't really know a lot about it, can you tell us a little bit more about this particular personality typing and how it might differ to other personality-related tests that we might know of, such as the Myers-Briggs or Five Love Languages? How can we compare all of these? Yeah, absolutely. So I love assessments in general. I love personality tests. So if you're already a personality test junkie, the Enneagram is going to fit right in to this whole this whole world. But how it differs is that I really talk about the Enneagram as an energetic map of all of the humans because every single person can find themselves on this circle. And if you haven't ever seen the Enneagram symbol itself, it is a circle with lines that are interconnected within it. And there are nine numbers outside of the circle. So each person ends up finding themselves within one of these numbers on this continuum. And when I think about a circle, I think about unity. I think about us all being together, sharing energy, sharing knowledge, sharing resources. And when you find out your Enneagram type, you're finding out not only how to articulate some things that are probably a little deeper than we tend to go when we're talking, you know, in general assessments, you're also finding finding out the why behind a lot of our personality traits. So the Enneagram goes deep into our core childhood wound. That's, um, it sounds really drastic, but you know, as children, we are being formed all the time. That zero to eight time frame is this space in which we are creating our personalities for the rest of our lives. And as kids, you know, we we don't have the proper information in order to sort. So we build protections. We build safeguards. We build our personality to protect ourselves from our environment. And that is what ends up being our number. Basically, the Enneagram tells us what are we motivated by and what do we fear and how did we become that person and how do we use our strengths to move further in life and how do we accept our dark shades, our shadows, and figure out, you know what, we all have things that aren't the best about ourselves. How do we make peace and move forward? So that's the Enneagram in a nutshell. So going back to our Enneagram and our personality being built from childhood, is this something that we're born with? Or is it built through nurture, nature, is it a little bit of both? How do we eventually land on one number that really defines our personality? So a lot of Enneagram experts, and one of my favorites to follow is Beatrice Chestnut. She's incredible, in my opinion. And I listen to her most closely. But a lot of Enneagram experts are aligned in this space that we are born a type, but our environment gives us exactly what we need to become that type. So of course, there's there's some nurture aspects to this. Our memories about our childhood are completely based in nurture, but most people say you are born a type. Okay. Why do you feel that it is important to not only know your Enneagram type, but also to dive deeper and understand what that means from you? How can we benefit individually for ourselves from knowing our Enneagram type? 
Uh, the Enneagram has been truly a huge pillar of my growth and learning, one of the biggest. And I can't overstate it enough when I say that knowing my number, identifying with my number has given me a way to find compassion for myself and then also talk about myself with other people. So being able to have language around pain that comes from a space, you know, we get this with any assessment, or even if you're like an astrology person, you get, you borrow language from that, that we identify. It just happens that when I read the eight, I felt so seen that I no longer felt alone in some of the harder parts of my personality. I knew that there was a whole group of people out there that resonated. And then when I meet people like you, and we in Instantly connected. Mm -hmm. And then we also found out that you were also an eight. Yes. And this just gave us such a platform for friendship that, I mean, I don't know, I'd love to hear your perspective on this, but it has created a depth in our friendship where we can say, hey, I'm struggling with this because it's hitting on my power button or my control button or whatever that is. And we can just have that conversation. And I I also realized very early on in our relationship that you were one of the few people in my life that I could be 100% myself. And I didn't necessarily, before learning about the Enneagram, I didn't necessarily understand why can I be this way with Whitney or with my husband, but I can't be this way with everyone in my life. And after taking the Enneagram and realizing our similarities and realizing where I cross over with my husband as well. It was like, oh, there, there's something here. There's a reason for all of this. And it also made me feel a little bit better about my, you know, the shadows, as you mentioned, of each personality type. Because like you said, there are other people in the world that have the same shadows as me. And it didn't, it no longer felt as such like a crutch or something negative or something bad about my personality. It was yeah. just this is what it is. Everybody has their own and these are these are mine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it lifts that isolation. Of course, we are all special, unique, individual snowflakes. Like no one can take away our essence. Which is so important to mention that you and I are both eights. Yeah. The similarities between you and I are shocking and sometimes scary, mm -hmm. but we are also so very different. It doesn't, taking the Enneagram doesn't mean that all of the eights are basically the same person. And if you know one, you know all of them because we're still so different in many ways. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And there's so many things that end up coloring our number. And this is a deep, deep rabbit hole that as you, you know, research the Enneagram, you'll find out. But as I get into this journey further and further, I realize that our number is really just the starting place. Learning that, diving deep into that, like, and once you learn your number and you resonate, like just diving deep into the research, reading everything that you can, um, because the more that you learn about yourself, the more you can articulate and stand confidently in who you are, the less the rest of the world starts to impact who you are. And that's a pretty big shift for a lot of people. You recently shared on Instagram that the ultimate goal when using the Enneagram is to find compassion, growth, and acceptance for yourself and everyone else. And how, how might this benefit us as well, not only knowing ourselves better, but also in our personal relationships with our partners, with our close friends, with our family who's closest to us? Would you also recommend, you know, kind of learning not only their number, but what that means for them and what their, you know, strengths and weaknesses are as well? Oh my gosh, it is, it's incredible what happens when you find your people on the Enneagram or when they find themselves and are, can articulate that to you. My business partnership started from the Enneagram. We both knew it. So we both knew walking into being business partners, what was going to be good about that and what was going to be hard about that. And honestly, finding my parents on the Enneagram has been one of the biggest blessings that has occurred in my adult life as far as my relationship with them. Because nothing about them has changed. But the way that I understand them is so fundamentally different and so filled with compassion that our relationship has changed. Let's take this a little bit. Let's shift it a little bit to apply what we know about the Enneagram and how that might benefit our businesses. So in any business, especially service-based businesses, which you and I both run, we've all had the experience in which working with a client felt so easy and enjoyable and seamless and working with other clients, going through the same processes, the same steps and working toward the same end goal didn't feel quite so effortless. And 
I have always tried to take full responsibility when that happens, thinking, what can I do differently? Do I need to be more flexible? Do I need to ask different questions? Were they not looking for exactly what I was trying to provide? I've never really been able to put my finger on the differences. And we started talking about the Enneagram and you brought up that it might be a few different personality types that I'm working with. So talk to me about how it might be helpful to just have a basic understanding of each of the Enneagram types. So when we're speaking with people that we don't know so well, and we're talking with for the first time, how we might be able to pinpoint what they're looking for and how we can provide the service that they're looking for to have a more successful outcome. Yeah. I think this is, this is a game changer when you understand that you can be doing a lot of different things and still not be communicating in the right way to everyone. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's there's certain things we can do. So when we learn about the Enneagram, when we learn about all nine types, it's basically opening a door to understanding what kind of fear is driving their decision making. So I talk a lot about in my businesses, what fear am I catering to? So in my photography business, I am catering to the fear that people don't want to be seen. Like a lot of times they don't feel like they're going to photograph well, but there's a lot underneath that. So I can have hundreds, you know, at this point, if not thousands of people who have said the same thing, I don't photograph well, but asking a few key questions to find out where that fear comes from is really, really pivotal. And I'm at the point now because I am so entrenched in this world that I can see people and maybe I don't know their type, but I get a sense of their type. Like I would never presume to tell someone their type that didn't know it, but I can get a feeling of where they might be landing. And when I get that feeling, I'm able to adjust my language and talk to their fear and soothe them in a sense. So, I mean, starting with the nine types, reading how they're motivated, reading what their fears and desires are, what gets them out of bed every morning, what causes them to run for the hills, you'll start to see these things in your clients. Do you feel like of all the hundreds, if not thousands of people that you photographed, that most of their fears kind of fall into two or three different key categories? What are the general fears that you're working with? Yeah, I mean, it's I can go through some fears as I see them Enneagram wise. Like I've noticed that when I'm working with people who might have a high dominance in one, that they really need to know that they are following the rules, that they're doing it right. Like when they step into the studio with me, they need to be assured that they're doing the right thing. That in a sense, they're doing it like everybody else, that they're being good in this space. They also need a lot of communication up front. They need checklists. They are the, they're the dotting the I's and, you know, crossing T's sort of people. So my process actually is catered really well towards a one. That works for them. Now twos, their big thing is that they want to feel seen. So every way that they show up in the world is so that they can receive love and they often help and serve in that process pursuit of finding love. So when I get a two, I know that they're going to ask me about me for most of the session. And it's it like never fails. My twos walk in and it's all about them in my mind. And they try to make it all about me. And I'm like, no, no, no. This is the time that you get to absorb my love. And my love is photographing you. Amazing. Okay. Okay. So let's talk about the pain points of a three. Yeah. So threes are all about what looks good. So they want to get it done. They want to get it done right. They're action oriented. They're very feelings sacrificing. So they are our workaholics that are going to pass the buck to like, they're the workaholics that are going to have a lot of oversight on whatever they're doing. So they're likely borderline perfectionists. Okay. Um, they're, I mean, I, I love a good three because- Are they delegators? Not all. I mean, they can be, but it's harder for them. Okay. Um, they, they want, want, to, feel, want to take control of what needs yeah, to be they done. They often feel a little resentful towards delegation unless it's done incredibly well. So okay. they pick their professionals based on their excellence. So threes will delegate, but it's, it's a hard pull away. Okay. 
So that's where the threes often land is like they want to do things that are going to look good on Instagram. The nicest restaurants, they might not actually post about this, but they want to go to the nicest restaurants, the nicest places. You worked with a three friend of mine. and you I was going to say, I, I, I feel like I've got some threes in my client base. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and they will be pretty upfront about that. Like, I want to stay at the nicest hotel. This is what matters. This is what doesn't matter. I love a lot of people in my life are threes. Mm -hmm. So I'm all about them. Okay. So I'm already able to identify a little bit. I think I've got a lot of threes. So I'm curious to keep going along the Enneagram types and find out who else my clients are falling into. Okay. So fours lead with their emotions. They're by far one of the most emotional types of the nine types. And their whole thing is that they want to feel unique and special. They got the message really young that they needed to be very individual in order to be seen. So oftentimes we define our our fours as a little bit melodramatic, but they tend to trend towards the artist realms or, you know, they could be an accountant, but they are a very different kind of accountant than any other accountant. They really live in that feeling space. I experience a lot of fours as therapists, as healers, um, as people who really dig into that energetic field. Anybody who really values highly, like my clothes are different than your clothes, that probably tells you something that they might have, they either are a four or there's a lot of four going on in there. I've I've got a few uh, client names running across my mind already with this one. Do you find fours in the creative space as well? Oh, Um, absolutely. I mean, we find all numbers everywhere, but there's a high prominence of fours. And fours are going to lead with their feelings. They want to feel things when they show up in spaces. They want to be moved by, in your space, they want to be moved by their vacation. It needs to hit that emotional center for them. So we have uh, quite a few fives in our friend circle. Mm -hmm. So what are... What are we working with? with So fives, their core motivation is to, they're literally the know-it-alls. They are, that's, I would just make them a banner. They want to know deeply everything. So they spend a lot of time researching. They spend a lot of time getting really, really deep into a couple of topics. They are your spreadsheet people. They're also probably some of the more introverted people that you know. They really love having their alone time, their quiet time. And they can be really, really satisfied by being by themselves for epic amounts of time. Now, there is this space in fives that they get a little selfish. So fives tend to be really selfish with their energy. And that's where the introversion comes. They can they can walk out into a scene of people and be the star of a show. It's not a problem, but they need a ton of time. And they really respect that. I respect fives and their boundaries in their world because they respect how much time it takes them to recharge in order to be their best self. When you have a five walk into your photography studio, what are the little things that you're able to identify in that type of person? personality. Yeah. They're going to ask me a lot of questions. Okay. They're probably going to ask me about my gear. They're going to ask me about my process and they're going to ask me about my systems. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And a photo shoot. (laughs) Yep. And they're not going to, you know, they'll never, they won't tell me their feelings. If they say anything, they might say they're nervous, but it will be so downplayed that we can both ignore it. All right, we've got a few more left. What what are we looking for to identify sixes? If yeah. you know, if you've got a six walking into your studio or if we have a six reach out to us to plan a trip. Yeah. What's going to help us identify a six? Sixes are your worst case scenario people. Sixes are the people who are prepared for every scenario. They think it all through. They worry quite a bit. So if you have somebody who is sometimes five steps ahead of you on a particular process that you're like, whoa, 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 I actually have that figured out. Mm-hmm. But they're already there. They that is their That is their skill. They can get all the way to the end of five or six different scenarios that haven't even happened. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. So sixes are really worried about their personal safety and security. Okay. They're motivated to make plans and create a life that is comfortable. So they like wow. that, that comfort through knowing and through planning. I'm already thinking of a few clients just based on different questions that I get. This is, this is fascinating. Mm-hmm. And as you mentioned the spreadsheets, I have some amazing clients who send me their own spreadsheets and I just love it because I'm also into spreadsheets, mm-hmm. but I'm already so excited to learn, you know, as opposed to 
maybe getting a little bit annoyed with all of the questions about safety and security, maybe wondering why on earth my clients are sending me spreadsheets when I'm supposed to be doing that work for them. You know, all of these little um, personality traits I'm already so excited to dive into embracing those traits rather than just kind of like, you know, raising an eyebrow when when that next email comes in and I'm not really sure where that's coming from. Yeah. So let's finish off these traits and then we can dive into how we can better identify these traits and what we can do with it. So what are we looking at for a seven? So sevens are fun, just period. They're fun. They want to have fun. They want to be spontaneous. They are driven by having fun and never feeling FOMO. Now sevens feel FOMO all the time. So if you're not up on FOMO, it's fear of missing out. Sevens always want to be invited to the party, even if they don't want to go. Like you, <laughs> like truly just make sure to invite your seven friends everywhere. They won't show up half the time, but they will feel loved simply by the invite. Planning ahead is really hard for a seven. And they often like, they like a a fair amount of control. So in your industry, I just wonder if you end up with any sevens because my sevens that I know are like wanderlust. They just pick up and they go. Yeah. The sevens that I know, they know me, they love me. They know exactly what I do. They're probably not going to hire me and that's okay. That's okay. And it's not me. I don't think that they would hire a travel advisor. There might be some sevens out there that would, but my experience in general is that their desire for spontaneity is so strong that even Mm -hmm. hiring a travel advisor sort of squashes that. And all of the questions that you would ask them to get to their ideal trip, they would be like, I haven't even thought about it. I don't want to think about it. It's not fun the second I think about it. So it just, you know, they just kind of live in pursuit of this enthusiastic, spontaneous life. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you and I are both eights mm-hmm. um, and we <laughs> and have a favorite client, right? <laughs> um, you're my most pain in the ass client. If I'm going to be honest, <laughs> tell me about that. Tell me why I'm such a pain in the ass. And I only allow it because you're one of my closest friends. <laughs> so talk to me about, cause when we talked about this, uh, so much made sense. If a client put me through what you put me through to plan your trips, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be able to keep them as a client. And then when I understood it's because of your eight tendencies, but I'm also an eight. So it surprises me that I would be like that as a client. So talk to me a little bit about like what's going on with eights and maybe you're just a special eight. I'm not sure. (laughs) Yeah. Well, with eights, it's, you know, it's all about power and control, but they don't like the details generally. So that rings very true for me. They're searching for someone they can rely on to do the work. Now, I think the thing about me particularly as an eight is that because I trust you implicitly and you know me, I mm-hmm. literally just kind of don't care after that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so I will, you know, and this is probably to all you travel advisors out there, I can hear you just taking a deep breath. Um, but I will tell Whitney like an area of the world and like kind of a feel I'm going for and a budget and say, okay, the rest mm-hmm. is yours. That's I- all she gives me. <laughs> And then I, and I'm okay with the starting point as that, but then I go put together some ideas and an itinerary and I send it to you and I'm expecting feedback. I'm expecting, do you want this hotel or do you want this hotel? Do you like this experience? Do you want to try another one? And she just right. She either doesn't respond (laughs) or she writes back just like, yep, yep. Looks good. And then I send her the detailed itinerary in Travify. She does not open that itinerary until she is on the airplane. Yeah. And I, it just terrifies me. I am only okay that you do that to me because I know, I know you so well. And because we're close friends, if a client did that to me and that they literally didn't look at the details of their itinerary until they were on the airplane, I would be so nervous that there would be something in there that they wouldn't like, or that's not exactly what they were thinking or just something that then they would call me from the airplane and be like, what is this? Like, this isn't what I wanted. And so of course you've never done that to me, but that's my deepest fear with that situation. Yeah. And so the thing is, as, as a fellow eight, when you are sending somebody on their actual trip, you are literally like, I've done my work releasing control. And so for me, because I haven't validated your work throughout this process, I can imagine you are feeling like you're releasing control, but you don't actually know what you released. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. And I'm not confident in what I released because you haven't validated it. Yeah. And for me, I am like, I will do pretty much anything because I have a strong, like risk for me is fun. So, and, and really any situation I know I can handle or make the best of. So I'm not necessarily 
necessarily always looking for something specific on my vacations. I am looking to have experiences where I learn more about myself and have a really good time or do nothing. And I'll articulate, you know, kind of what I'm looking for in that. Like, do I want to travel or do I want a vacation? Mm -hmm, I can mm -hmm. tell you that much. And usually a little bit of both in your trips. Mm -hmm. Because you have a strong sense of curiosity, which is so I always throw in some travel, you know, there at the beginning, and then I always end it with some really strong vacationing. (laughs) Yeah, that last one was great. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay, let's talk about nines. Yeah. So the very, the very top of the circle, our nines are our peacekeepers. They're our neutrality captains. They can both most often be seen not having opinions, almost to the point of being avoidant of them because they just want to go with the flow. So nines frequently articulate, if they're articulating an opinion, it's on behalf of a group or they're not articulating their own opinions. I would venture to guess that you have nines as partners of some of your clients. Okay. They not yep. your direct client or they might be the client that literally heavily says, well, what do you think? Well, what do you think? Well, what do you think? Oh my gosh. We have, we definitely have a lot of those in the travel advisor community and myself and along with my team, I am always advocating so strongly. We cannot make decisions for our clients. We can advise, we can guide, we can offer as much information as possible, but we can't say, well, I think you should stay here. I would do this one. Like you, we have to be really, really careful about those really strong opinions. The way that you describe that, I do think we definitely have some nines as clients for sure. And they, a lot of times are, you know, they're going to be similar to me in a lot of ways that you could probably send them almost anywhere and they would be okay with it because nine struggle to really know themselves. So whereas my lack of response often comes from a general ambivalence, nines truly don't know the answer. Okay. If I had taken the time, I probably could have given you some pretty fleshed out details, Mm -hmm. but it would have just been a fleshed out way of saying like, we're good to go. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Whereas nines would not be able to tell you if it was good or not. Okay. Of course, I'm sure that everyone has clients that span the full spectrum of the Enneagram, but just listening to some of these descriptions, I do feel like there are three or four that we're probably seeing more often than others. And so I know that we are never going to be able to just have one conversation with someone and say, you're this number, like, that's not what I'm looking for. But are there some questions that we can ask? Or are there certain ways that in that first conversation with them, or maybe in a form that we have them fill out when we're getting ready to design their first trip that might help us hone in on what their personality trait might be. Yeah. So we were recently talking and I shared with you that I have a question on my form, which I cannot take credit for. There are two questions. And the first one, it's game night with my friends. I am the host. I am on time with a shareable snack in hand, or I am 15 minutes late. And I shared this with you a few weeks ago not assuming any connection to the Enneagram. And I just said, you know, everyone that's filling out this form is either answering that they're the host or they're answering that they're on time with a shareable snack in hand. I'm getting those two answers all the time. And what's interesting is then I don't really know what to do with that information. And when you heard me say that, you said, oh, well, I know who you're working with just based on those answers. So tell me what those two responses to my form tell you. Well, the on time with a shareable snack would lead me to believe that there's twos, but that's not exclusive. Sure. You know, when I hear that, they are people that understand how to be a good guest um, and care about that. Now, I could easily fall into that category on time mm-hmm. with a shareable snack. I also would answer the question that way. But I know that my actual propensity, what I want to do is be 15 minutes late. Me too. So like... My honest reaction is that I'm 15 minutes late, but the way I'd want to answer it. So there's ways to get deeper into that, like by crafting specific questions, because the snack thing, you could be a two, you could be a six who's thought, well, maybe they don't have my gluten-free preference. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You know, so they've already solved the problem ahead of time. Okay. So that wants to be good, you know? So what this tells me is kind of that I might have had the right intention in seeing this question on another 
advisors form and thinking, oh, maybe that'll help me get to know my clients a little bit better. But now it sounds like I could even take the question one step further, be a little more detailed, maybe have the answers be a little bit more intentional. So you know my service, you know how travel advisors work. If we wanted to ask a question that wasn't specifically about the trip, and it was really just trying to better understand this new person that has reached out and who we are talking to, what type of question could we ask? Uh, The immediate one that came to mind is cooking. Okay. What's your relationship to cooking or food? So, you know, when I think about twos, like they always have the snacks and they're always thinking about is anybody else hungry? Threes are, I made the most beautiful salad that you've ever seen and took a picture of it on Instagram. Fours, you know, they smell the popcorn and it brings back memories of their childhood. Fives have spreadsheets of all of the restaurants that they want to go to. You know, sixes have six different dishes because somebody might be allergic. Sevens, they need to have every single kind of food all of the time. Like they didn't just make one thing. They made it all or they're grazing. The sevens are grazing. Let's say that. Eights are like, (laughs) what recipe? What are you talking about? I can whip something up. It doesn't, you know, I'll just, I'll just do it. And then (laughs) nines are like, what did you make for dinner? I'll eat whatever you made. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Kind of using that, they would just click which one is the most for them. They might not know it's one through nine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or you could give them a couple of say like, hey, click a couple of these if they resonate. Yeah, I was going to say, because that's also the really important thing about the Enneagram is we might have traits and tendencies of a few different, but when we say you are a certain number, that's just your strongest personality trait. Is that the best way to describe that? Right. So you have one number that's dominant, and then you have a lot of other numbers that are creating different aspects of your personality. I like to say you have access to a lot of other numbers traits. And that's what makes us a really well-rounded human when we are not simply functioning directly from our number, but when we are borrowing the healthy personality traits of the numbers that we have close access to. Mm -hmm. I love this question. And now I'm curious if there are a couple more questions, because asking more than one question and kind of seeing their responses and seeing, are they all over the map or are they consistently answering in, you know, as a five or are they consistently answering as a nine? Is there a question that we could ask that might be related to their preferred style of travel? You know, how busy each day is, how little planning, how there's no planning, you know, is there a question like that we could dive into? Yeah, I'm sure there is. The very first one I came to is like the question about how they want to remember their trip. Like that to me is, do you want to remember your trip as having seen it all? Like I saw every single thing. Who would say that? Um, Probably threes or ones. Can you easily walk us through examples like you did for cooking? Okay, so how do you want your trip to be remembered? Ones would say that they likely, it was well organized, it was well planned, and everything went as expected. Twos want to make sure that their friends and family, whomever they traveled with, are having an incredible time and will remember it and thank them for it. So like everyone that they traveled with, they want to be thanked for putting this together and they want every everyone to have the very best time and be really connected. Threes are going to want to remember their trip as beautiful, magnificent. They're going to want to remember that they went to the best hotel, that they ate at the most amazing restaurant, basically that they had this very luxury maximized experience. It's a lot of clients. Yeah, that's a lot of clients. Fours, they're going to want to remember the feeling that you know, they want to have, I would not be surprised if they want to have some sort of spiritual experience on the trip. You are legit describing this. (laughs) Now you're going to know why. It's so helpful. It's so helpful. You're a four. Okay. (laughs) And I think that you bring up a huge point here. We oftentimes internalize people's personalities, that they are at us, against us, we did something wrong, when the truth is people are reacting based on who they are. And yeah, something about who we are or our process has triggered something in them. But 100% of the time, their reaction is about them and how they see the world. So the Enneagram is just the way for us to understand how they see that and how they're reacting. So fives, they are going to want to remember that they, I think they're a see it all, but only the best parts. I don't, by see it all, they're going to want to go to maybe the top two or three, but they're going to be a lot less touristy. 
So you'd, I would avoid like almost the highlights and they're going to want to be more experience driven, but really great experiences. They are probably snobby about one or two things. And if you can satisfy their snobbery, and I mean that in the best way, because I yep. snobby about certain things, mm-hmm. if you can satisfy their snobbery. That's what they'll remember. Like I think about, I, I know that, um, I hope I'm not saying too much when I say your husband's a five. Mm-hmm. And we have traveled together. I am going to remember those gin cocktails we had for the rest of my life. Yeah. Me too. And I know Antonio will too, because I know that that was such a moment for all of us. Mm -hmm. And it was so special. But at the end of the day, it was an hour of our trip. It was an hour of our seven day trip in London. And it was the most offhand, unexpected, back alley gin place that we accidentally discovered. And it ended up being one of our favorite memories. That's a really, really like helpful, but also a really great way to describe fives. Yeah. Um, Also... A lot of people call me snobby in certain topics because I also like, I love beer, but I don't just love any type of beer. Like I really love IPAs. I really love craft beers. I also like to go wine tasting and I like to understand what I'm drinking. And so people near and dear to me in my life have used the word snobby once in a while. I like to say passionate. (laughs) I am passionate about food and beverages because I really enjoy them. I like to learn more about them. I like to understand the nuances. So we're going to go with passionate. I'm fine with passionate. I'm also fine with just embracing any previously negative adjectives and just being like, hey, yeah, I am. (laughs) (laughs) Embrace the snobbery. I love it. We'll go with passion. (laughs) So sixes. Sixes. So sixes are going to want to remember that they, they also have a strong like loyalty. So they want to have a really connected time with their family. And they're going to remember that it was a comfortable experience that they got to go through everything and not worry because every single thing was planned out. And this is something you do extraordinarily well. So I wouldn't be shocked if you had a lot of six clients because your process lends really well towards getting through their worries so that they can show up and fully enjoy. Mm-hmm. And that comforting experience that you offer is really geared towards a six having a magnificent time on their trip. And not having to worry about any of those nitty gritty details. Yeah. And- like having somebody pick them up at the hotel, you know, having, making sure that all their transportation, their points of handoff are really yep. well, you know, articulated. They will remember that. Mm-hmm. That's really helpful to understand. And that's also one of the parts of my process that I have definitely noticed are appreciated by some clients more than others. And sometimes people look over my shoulder and see the detail that I go to in my itineraries and they just think I'm insane. But I think I'm really connecting with those sixes with those details. So that's really helpful to understand. But I have to say, you know, I told you one of the very first times that we traveled that my reoccurring nightmare as far as travel is that I am, I I get landed in the middle of Florence on a train and I don't have a hotel reservation. I don't have any plans. I don't know why I'm there and I don't know how to get where I'm going. Well, you're out of control. I'm out of control. Isn't that an eight's biggest fear is being out of control? My biggest fear. And, but it's also, you know, it plays on, I'm spontaneous. I don't always prepare. So therefore sometimes I end up out of control without even realizing it. You're your own worst enemy. It sounds like. I know. Aren't we all? (laughs) Yeah. So I always really appreciate, I know you're going to do those handoffs for me. Mm-hmm. And that is for me, what I'm really paying for in my mind when I hire you, because the the experiences are awesome. And I know mm-hmm. that you have access to things that I don't. So I love mm-hmm. that. But planning the in-between spots of my travel are where you soothe me. And that's also so helpful to understand, because I think that as travel advisors, we like to talk about all of the really cool stuff that we can do. We like to talk about our partners around the world, the unique VIP experiences that can't just be booked online, you know, easy or Googled. You won't even know that it's possible. We like to talk about all the fancy hotels. And that's really great for threes, I think. We're really connecting with threes when we're talking about all that stuff on on Instagram and on social media and in our newsletters. But if that's all we're ever doing, and I'm even talking to myself here because I'm, I'm falling in this category as well. We are missing out on eight other personality types around this world. And so what we can also talk about that might soothe an eight's 
fears, which is mine as well, is don't just tell me that I'm going to take a train to Florence and then tell me which hotel I'm staying at. I want to know how I'm getting from the train station to the hotel. Like that detail is almost more important for me because I have caught myself stuck around the world in every which country of going, okay, I know that I have A and I know that I have C. What on earth is B? How am I getting from A to B? Am I taxiing? Am I, you know, like what, what are these details? And that is always my fear in a trip. You said it so perfectly. It's for me, I know that once I'm there, I can handle pretty much whatever and I'll, I'll internalize it. However, but the middle point are where that's where a lot of the loss of control comes in a, in travel in and of itself. Once you're at a hotel, you are pretty much good to go. Mm -hmm. And in the airport, there's a sense of, like, I know how to operate here. I know how to get what I want in an airport. But the airport to the hotel, that's the Wild West as far as I'm concerned. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I agree. So would you say that how how is an eight going to want to remember their trip? We're kind of talking about their fears and, and what might attract them to working with a travel advisor. But if we stick with this question of how they want to remember their trip, what is an eight going to look for? Yeah, I think an eight's going to want to feel like they didn't have to lift a finger, like they just got to relax, truly relax and let somebody else worry about all the details. And when I think about my most recent vacation that you planned to start to finish, that's exactly how I feel about that. Mm-hmm. I have mm-hmm. no experience of the stress of that vacation because all I did was follow your directions. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, would look at the beginning of the day and see what time I needed to wake up. And that yep. to me is the ultimate luxury. That was the only thing you needed to know each day is what time do I need to wake up? Yeah, that was it. And that, you know, I I know that I might even in an eight world fall into a very strange category there. But even when I look at my calendar, I can have 10 meetings on it. I'm not going to know the day before who I'm seeing. I'm going to know what time I need to wake up and when I either need to be at a location or on a phone. I do think that we do have that in common with eights is my most relaxing, most enjoyable trips that I've had, which are not very many because I'm usually also planning them, which is stressful. And I need to get myself a travel advisor. Mm -hmm. But the trips that I really enjoyed the most are those that I, you're right. All I had to do was look at the next day's plans. What time do I need to wake up? What time is someone here to pick me up? And those are my, if I, if I just think very quickly to the most relaxing, most enjoyable trips, they were that well-planned and I didn't have to worry about a thing. So we did actually skip sevens. What are sevens going to want to remember from their trip? They are going to want to have covered a lot of ground. Literally, they will want to have seen it all. They are your road trippers, or they're the people who will head off to Southeast Asia and see like a million different cities while they're there. They're going to want to spend one to two nights in each place before they move on. So they're going to remember they are your true, did I see it all? Did I eat it all? Did I do it all? And all experiences are going to be not equal, but like they can do something super kitschy and like maybe even a little touristy and have the same level of excitement as, you know, the five-star dining experience. Like they want to soak up every single bit of culture. So that actually is a perfect description for one of my clients that just popped into my mind right when you were describing that. So I do think that having two or three different questions with all of these multiple answers will really help us identify who we're working with. And we may even like at the beginning, we kind of said sevens probably aren't our clients, but I think some sevens might be mm-hmm. um, cause we've got plenty of clients who want to go to Europe and, and they want to hit eight cities in 12 days. Yeah. Well, and think about, again, we talked about my best friend who you planned a trip for, she's a three, mm-hmm. her husband's mm-hmm. a seven. Remember you talked them out of trying be in several different places because logistically it wouldn't work. Well, and also because they had shared with me during our first conversation, how in a previous trip that I didn't plan, it was just too fast and they were just constantly moving. And at the end, they didn't feel like they enjoyed it very much. So that's also a really important thing to understand when the person that we're speaking with is a certain personality type and then their partner who may not have filled out our form, who may or may not be on the phone with us, their partner's personality comes into play when we send that first proposal. And then they come back with all of these questions and all of these ideas that we're like, wait, that's not what we talked about. So this will also help us kind of, if if we can bring in the partner and the family earlier in the process, it will also help us to try to hit all of these 
pain points to try to hit all of these top priorities and to try to hit all of these, well, how does this person want to remember this trip? But how does their partner want to remember this trip? And try to find that happy medium for each of our clients. Because we're never, not very often are we just working with one individual who we can just tick, tick, tick and do our, and that happens occasionally, right? But the majority of our clients that we're working with multi-gen families, we're working with families with three kids, we might have four or five different personalities there to work with. So yeah, absolutely. And I think the other thing I would say about when you plan for a seven, it's like you almost have to save them from themselves. Oh my God. I said that exactly about yeah. <laughs> this couple that we're talking about. I said to her, I am saving you from yourself. You shared with me that you didn't want to do this. And now you're asking me to do this. Mm-hmm. And so our tendencies, I mean, you'll see this, especially since you work with your clients so long-term, you'll start mm-hmm. to see how we lie to ourselves how our personalities are so strong that they actually create false narratives for us. And it's really, really interesting. And that's part of what the Enneagram can do is help us hone in on these stories that we tell ourselves that aren't necessarily true. So last one's nine. A nine is going to want to remember that everyone had a good time. They They tend to be so go with the flow that as long as the people that they're with have enjoyed themselves, they are very likely enjoying themselves. And they're also going to love that anything that was planned in advance where they don't have to be asked or where they don't have to make the decision on the spot. Because as we talked about before, nines really don't love being put on the spot to make decisions. They need a lot of time with that. So your process is probably really helpful for them if they are the planners. Mm -hmm. If our listeners could walk away from this conversation, understanding one key thing about the Enneagram and its importance in our lives, what would you say that is? Oh, that understanding the Enneagram is understanding yourself, your partner, your family members, your friends, and literally every single person that walks across your path. You're learning a system that will teach you in depth about everyone walking around you. And it's it's a system that teaches us how to care for the people that are walking around us. A lot of our assessments teach us mostly just about us. So yeah. when I think about Myers-Briggs and I think about DISC and I think about a lot of these other things, the only thing that we're really understanding is who we are. We might understand the other personality traits or other things that are coming up. But at the end of the day, we're not taught really a lot about how we cross over, how we borrow, how we grow through, or at least that's not always the space that that's used in. Enneagram can fall into that hole as well. If all you're doing is, you know, following Instagram accounts and awesome memes, don't get me wrong. I love my Enneagram um, accounts and I love my memes. But when we get too focused on laughing at our dominant types memes, we're not actually thinking about, okay, how do I get out of this trap? Our personalities are our trap. And it's not until we start really almost growing out of our personality that we start to see real huge changes in who we are and how we're showing up for other people in our lives. If we are interested to learn more, to not only understand which Enneagram type that we are, but also to kind of dive deeper into what that means. And I I love that you mentioned there's a lot of Instagram accounts and I follow them as well. And they always give me a good chuckle. And then I send it off to my husband so he can get a good chuckle and we can laugh at each other. But you're right that it's it's about so much more than that. And so now it's I'm ready to kind of take the next step and to not only better understand myself and those around me, but how to make my uh, strengths and weaknesses work for me, right? So if we are interested to learn more, what are some resources that you can recommend? Are there Instagram accounts? Um, Are there podcasts we can listen to books we can read? Yeah, I love I mean, first off, you got to find your your type. And that is a process in and of itself. And Whitney, I gave you some links so that you can put those in your show notes of where to be looking for that. Because really, until you have a really strong foundation on what your type is, a lot of things feel ambiguous. So a quick note on the notes, you have uh, shared with me a link for a free test and a paid test. Can you talk to me about the differences and why it might be important to, if we're really interested to take the next step and take one of the paid tests. Yeah. So the free test is how I started. Literally the link that I shared with you, Whitney, is the one that I took. And as as I shared before, I came up a different type because really it just shows you, you know, your top three or four most dominant types. Now I now know why that's happening because I've done the research, but it really, I would take those top two or three 
four types and read about them and not take whatever your top number is as law because they're not spending, they're not updating that test. They're not spending a lot of time looking at the analytics on that. Whereas okay. the um, the paid assessment through the IEQ-9, so that's where I am certified as an Enneagram coach. Yes, the test price is high, but it is accurate. And you find out not only what your type is, but your subtype. If you're really serious about the Enneagram, I would absolutely invest in the IEQ-9 assessment or reach out to me and I can help you walk through that because uh, it changed my world getting those results and really thinking through what that meant for the future of my growth. I had taken my eight just about as far as I could in the growth space. Mm -hmm. And now I have so much more information to work with. Okay. Step number one is to take a test because we absolutely need to kind of understand where we are and the, in the Enneagram types. And then if we want to read more about it, if we just want to follow a fun Instagram account just to kind of see it once in a while in our feed, or if we want to listen to a podcast, what are some of your favorites? Yeah. So I love Enneagram and coffee. It's uh, Sarah Jane Case. She is a beautifully compassionate seven. She also wrote The Honest Enneagram, which is a really I would say a really easy read. A lot of the books that I'm now reading are feel like textbooks. Her okay. is an easy read to get to know the types. And it's a very compassionate way to talk about the Enneagram because a lot of times people will start to read descriptions and they'll be like, oh, like it can be harsh. The language that the Enneagram uses can be harsh. And mm -hmm. so Sarah Jane does a really great job of softening some of that language. So if you're having a hard time internalizing some of the language around your type, I would search out her. Now, my favorite, more, I would say scholarly approach is from Beatrice Chestnut. And she wrote The Complete Enneagram. And she actually goes into subtypes. And for me, that, you know, if I'm speaking total Greek right now, that's totally fine. Um, maybe save this for your like third or fourth Enneagram book. But she is one of the leading people currently that are talking about this the way that I really find useful for growth. And she has a podcast called Enneagram 2.0 with Aranio Pius and they're awesome. Their podcasts are really long. They go really deep into subject matter and I listen to them all the time to continue my learning. If you get really into this and you've decided that the Enneagram is a space that you want to think about, dive in deeper, then you and I are probably going to get to know each other really well because I am launching a community that's completely based on Enneagram self-growth. In 2021, I am launching The Circle and The Circle is going to be all about Enneagram self-growth community, not only getting to know ourselves better and a lot of the deeper components of the Enneagram, but using each other as a resource. So one of the, my biggest skills in life is building community and creating a space where people can share their deepest selves in a large group of people. And I am bringing that to the Enneagram world because what we need in this world is to be able to say who we are out loud with understanding and have other people hear us and offer feedback. And creating that space, I am so passionate about it. So all of my energy is going into creating that community. If you get really into the Enneagram, February of 2021, you'll be able to join the circle. Whitney, this has been so wonderful. Thank you for introducing us to the Enneagram and for taking us through all of the benefits we can discover when we not only know and understand more about our own Enneagram type, but also that of our closest friends and family, and most importantly, our clients with whom we're working on a regular basis. You can find out more about everything Whitney is up to on her website at WhitneyWarren.com. And you can also follow her on Instagram. Her handle is at WhitneyWarren. And both of these will be linked in the show notes for you. Whitney, thank you again for your willingness and for your enthusiasm to be a part of the conversation. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This was a blast. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Masters in Travel. If you want more, head over to mastersintravelpod.com for show notes and links to the resources we discussed in today's episode. If you loved today's interview as much as I did, please take a moment to leave a review, subscribe so you don't miss an episode, and be sure to share this podcast with an advisor who is ready to level up their travel business. To continue the conversation, find us on Instagram at Masters in Travel, where we preview upcoming episodes and engage with our listeners to decide what topics to cover next. We'll see you next time.